The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Oh, hi. Glad I got the right place, Jason. Uh, I got your invite, by the way. Well, I'm glad you could make it, Denis. You know I'm a big fan of Halloween, right? Well, yeah, we're pretty much aware of that in Core of the Lakes here, Jason. I love the decorations, by the way, outside the house. They're, uh, they're amazing, as usual. <laughs> well, welcome to my new updated, limited time only, Core of the Lakes-inspired House of Horrors. Are you up for a tour? Oh, I, I'm game. All right, let's go. Follow me. I call this... Downtown construction never ends. Ooh. Oh, this, this is scary. There, there should probably be a warning on that door. Oh, this is almost too realistic. Okay, what else you got? Follow me. Are those kids dressed up for Halloween, for trick-or-treating? I mean, they seem happy. Jason, I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't scary at all. Well, that's because they haven't shown you what's in their, what's in their loot bags yet. That house they just left? This is scary. The people at that house gave them toothbrushes, sesame sticks, fruit roll-ups, and... Okay, stop right there. I'm I'm terrified. Please, please stop. Old Pokemon cards. Okay, this is... Let's just keep moving. Nothing can be as scary as that. Hey, why do those people carrying signs sound so angry, Jason? Or... What are they chanting? Are you sure you can handle this, Denis? I mean, this part of the tour is kind of PG-13. You know what? Hit me. Well, let me just turn up the volume on this exhibit. De-amalgamate Kawartha Lake! De-amalgamate Kawartha Lake! De-amalgamate Kawartha Lake! Your whole life you've been told, don't throw sharp objects, right? Here's the place where you are encouraged to throw those sharp objects. And when it sticks in that place that you chose it to go to, that is unbelievable. It's like that that big, deep sigh. You'll hear from Carlo Roponi of the Lindsay Axe Club throughout the program today as he helps me along my self-actualizing, axe-inspired journey. Because that's a word we don't hear enough of, right? Journey? Good. You know what, let's just go with uh, Carlo explains the finer points, pun intended, and primal catharsis of throwing sharp things at a wall, eh? Juries are slowly, carefully being called back to the courtroom. What effect is that having on our legal system? You may be surprised. Monique Malosh of Ward's Lawyers will explain. An arrogant worm offers some wisdom when it comes to dealing with downtown construction. You heard me, an arrogant worm. Well, a member of the arrogant worms. Well, now you gotta stay tuned, right? And back to school impressions, this time from the teacher's perspective. Lots of treats in today's show, minus the tricks, and nothing scary at all. My name is Denny Grignon, and this is The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. build this axe target. Jonah, what was it a year ago, two years ago? I was going to say two, three years ago. Two, three years ago? Yeah? Yeah. Oh, there, finally I got one in. But yeah. you remember when we started this, we were really good right off the bat? And then... And, and, then, then, and then it dropped off. It was like beginner's luck. Yeah, and then it was like we got in our heads or something. Yeah, So knows? anyway, one, give it a shot. See what yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
just not really sure, you know, how we can uh, deal with this frustration, maybe get better. Uh, you know, I think I have a good idea. Get a trebuchet instead of uh, an axe and use the trebuchet to throw the axes at the board, maybe? Oh, okay, well now I have two good ideas. <laughs> what, what I meant was uh, we go talk to a professional who can give us some pointers on how to throw axes. Alright, here it is, the Lindsay Axe Club on Mary Street here in Lindsay. Ah, there's got to be a, an expert in here I can consult. Hi there. I'm well, and yourself? Uh, Carlo was expecting me. Stick with us and accompany me on this journey. Uh, you know, let's, let's go with ascent to an axe-inspired experience instead of journey. We return to it later in the program and meet the man behind, literally behind the axe, Carl Raponi, co-owner of the Lindsay Axe Club. You know, The Advocate has always been about all of Kawartha Lakes when we are researching stories, and that includes Burnt River, where publisher Roderick Benz uncovered something quite fascinating. That's right, Denis. In the November issue, I got a chance to connect with Caroline Palmer, who has had major roles in such hit shows as Heartland, Mr. D, Working Moms, not to mention DC's blockbuster superhero movie Shazam. No, we haven't turned all Hollywood at The Advocate. We were more interested in where Caroline Palmer is living and why, which is off-grid in a little cabin in Burnt River, right here in Kawartha Lakes, along with her husband, Mike, and dog, Tobias. So learn more in the November edition of The Advocate. You can pick it up at Sobeys in Fenland Falls or Smitty's in Lindsay, among many other locations. In episode 16 of The Advocate podcast, we heard from Jeannie Truax, a grade 12 student at I.E. Weldon Secondary School, a very honest and candid student. Jeannie told us what back to school, a very different back to school experience, was like for her after a week of classes. This time, we hear from the other end of the classroom, Jeannie's teacher, Mari Bu. I started by asking Mari the same question I asked Jeannie. Now, I'm not going to repeat that question here now to set up the interview. I, I want you to hear the question as I asked it to Mari, for good reason, which will become clear. How are you feeling? Okay. Good, I think. I, I'm so happy to be back in the classroom. You did take uh, a breath there, though, before you answered. Well, it is, because it's, it's a kind of an overwhelming, it's been an overwhelming change. Uh, we are redoing things that we, you know, 25 years of teaching, I'm now doing things completely in a different way. Give me my, an example. Well, lesson, my lesson is a five-hour lesson block. I'm trying to teach one course for five plus hours a day with weird little break times at sort of random moments and... Um, it's a challenge. It's been a challenge to organize how to engage the students, how to save my voice, how to keep them interested. Well, that's engagement, but keep them interested in what we're doing and not overwhelm them with the amount of work that we have to do, because I can't expect them to go home and do four or five hours of homework that, that night, which they may have had to do over the course of a week in previous previous situations in a normal semester. It's a little overwhelming to spend all your time sitting in one room doing one thing with one teacher um, and one, you know, one group of friends. Um, and so, overwhelming for the teachers, too, And it's too, overwhelming imagine. for the teacher, too, because those can be long days. When you talk about that balance, you know, balancing, engaging them and, and your voice, which yeah. honestly, I, yeah. ne I never even considered. Yeah. And I guess I should have. Talking through a mask for, you know, giving a lecture through a mask, it's hard work. 
So how do you do that then? How do you create that balance where you, you know, you keep them engaged, but you still have to teach them. You have to take care of your own voice. You have to keep engaged. How do you keep all those balls in the air? Well, that it's, it's a little bit of panic from time to time, but really I start with some review and some, and a bit of a lecture, and then I get them doing a small task and then I lecture again. Uh, and then we do, there's been a little more audio visual perhaps than usual, or I've been showing a few more video clips to kind of break it up. Uh, and then to try and get them to do something we've spent for years training how to do, uh, interactive activities where they work together and it's student focused and it's, you know, them in groups and partners doing, doing things, you know, analyzing documents and that kind of thing. It's a little harder because they can't do that. Yeah. It's been a challenge. This grade 12 class was fantastic. They're, they were all wonderful students. Easy for me to keep on top of their workload. It was easy for them to keep on top of their workload because it was they, they, that's all they were focusing on. Yeah. Um, I knew who hadn't handed something in, who needed help with something. I knew that right away. So it was really ideal for that. I started the, started the second octoblock, and I'm now teaching 33 grade 10 history students. Uh, it, I mean, the classroom is just packed to the gills. They really can't move at all. I want to play this for you. It's it's a it's a clip from my interview with Jeannie, and I, I would just like to hear uh, your reaction to it. You never quite know if it's okay to stand up from my desk right now, or if it's okay to go and get a, go and take my mask off and get a drink. It's hard to to deem what is the correct way to go about your daily lives. It, it sounds like you're on edge all the time. Yeah, there's it's. it's I saw you nodding and smiling at the same time. And that, that part of the interview is the one that struck me when I asked her, which was a leading question. It sounds like you're on edge. And she paused and said, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Can you expound on that from your perspective I, as a teacher? I think, well, because that got me too when I listened to her interview. Uh, and I, uh, she's, she's exactly right. Uh, there are moments where, you know, I, I'll open a staff room door and have to count the number of bodies in that room before I go forward. You know, where the the women's bathroom was a place where between periods, when we all had our own, uh, we were all on the same break, we'd all be in there, you know, crowded in there talking about what had happened so far today or whatever. And now we line up outside the door and wait. And frankly, there aren't that rarely happens because we're all on separate breaks. So I'm not even spending time with my colleagues at lunch or on break time because... We have different break times and we have different lunches. Um, so it is, it, there are moments where you are, uh, you know, students are walking on, like, they'll come into the classroom and there's a taped off area that's the teacher space. And they'll, like, be walking on a balance beam around it to get, to, to bring me something or to pass me something, uh, which, you know, some teachers may be more strict about that. Um, again, when I had 14 students, it didn't seem like such a big deal. Now there's 33. Frankly, they're going to have to walk in that taped space from time to time because there's no room for them to move around. Mm -hmm. uh, so that we are on edge. We are. Uh, it's. A, I would say, I mean, Jeannie's interview was the first week after the first week. I think things have relaxed a little bit. And as fortunately, we still have no cases in the city of Kawartha Lakes and we're feeling... Are you more relaxed now than uh, you were? I think I am, yes. Um, definitely. You're a little more the photocopier we're supposed to spray it before and after we use it well it's getting all gummed up and horrible so from disinfectant from disinfectant right so we're we're sort of you know just touching fewer buttons and wiping them down a little bit you mentioned the the staff room and, and getting together with your colleagues i've had the uh, the opportunity to be in a, a number of uh, high school uh, in, in elementary school staff rooms and it always kind of struck me as 
this refuge for teachers. You know, there was uh, some of them were commiserating, some of them were complaining, some of them were celebrating, but yeah. it was that yeah. gathering point. It was their space. What's it like for you to not have that now to, to be able to find a place like a refuge for you it, and your peers it is it, the only refuges are ones just for us our, our individual selves right so on my study hall period or prep period or my lunchtime i go into the history office and i'm there by myself in this windowless room but, but that can't be the same as commiserating no with, with peers. no it's not at all uh so i that has been a, a challenge i do at the end of the day i'm the department head and my classroom is at the end of sort of the hall so I will go as I'm walking out the door to see who's still there. And sometimes that's the first time I've seen my colleagues, the people in my department, all day. It's quite isolating with no blueprint. We have nobody who's given us, you know, there's no expert on how to teach a 110-hour course in five weeks. Without being Pollyanna, uh, <laughs> some of the students uh, I've spoken to have talked about all, all the struggles and the stress. Some of them, not all of them certainly, but a few of them will point to things that they've gleaned from this from a very positive standpoint, like, hey, this is actually better now, or I've learned this about myself. Can you point to anything as a teacher where you go, okay, this has been not a lot of fun, but there's this? The the biggest is just how grateful I am to have my job and to be working in a a great school, but also to be back in the classroom. So there, I mean, there are some challenges for sure, but it it's just much nicer than teaching from my couch to a an empty Zoom screen that I or Google Meets screen that I don't with don't know who's there. Happy to be back in the classroom. Long may it last. Hi, my name is Mari Bu, a teacher at IE Weldon Secondary School, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast: Stories from Kawartha Lakes. And I'll add to Mari's show ID there by encouraging you to subscribe to our program on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for free, courtesy of our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, find them at wardlegal.ca. In the past few weeks, my family and I treated ourselves to two restaurant meals in downtown Lindsay. Don't, don't worry. Cajun and Fenland will get to you in the next couple of weeks too, I promise. I've always been a big fan of the Olympia and the Cat and Fiddle and the respective owners, Nikki and Lisa. More so now that some of the downtown construction has been completed. Some, there's still ongoing construction in Kawartha Lakes, of course. And we are all, we're all, hey, construction people, can you hold off for a bit while I introduce this this next interview? A jackhammer? Really? Whew, thanks. You know, we're all doing quite well learning how to live with first and second waves, aren't we? Of construction and otherwise. But we can also seek some wisdom and advice from others who've lived through their own downtown construction. That's what I did way, way back before all of this. I got some advice from Mike McCormick, one-third of the musical comedy trio, The Arrogant Worms. Now, Mike's downtown is Renfrew. That Ottawa Valley town only very recently completed its massive downtown overhaul. Sure, Mike says there was the frustration of dodging barricades and and finding parking and negotiating through detours on gravel roads. But but what helped Mike tolerate that seemingly endless inconvenience was this sentiment. Wow, I wonder how many years this work has needed to be done before they had the uh, you-know-whats to actually do it. You know, the water system has been there for a long time and (laughs) these things don't just work forever. It has to be done. What was it like for you to have to find those streets to get you to where you're going? They they were marked, but then when, if 
weather was bad. Like you're you're going to to into the, the the urban areas where people actually live, and there is a stop sign, but it's it's a stop sign that's kind of a suggestion because there's like one car per hour, and now it's a nonstop flow of traffic. So people didn't know how to deal with it and where is the turn it's all labeled and stuff but did you sense sort of a, oh, a kind there, of a, an, there's an anger a, and... there's an anger and anxiousness and and okay i'm going to meet my buddy denis for a dinner at seven give myself the allotted eight minutes to get there and now it takes 19 okay so this and, is... and, the, and there's that messes with your head is what <laughs> i'm supposed to get from point a to point b in eight minutes <laughs> like, this is this is a first world problem oh dear there's 11 minutes of my life that are gone to the gods of traffic well you know i think i'll get through maybe in that 11 minutes you can finish listening to a podcast we also had as a little little bit of a model uh the town of Arnprior. their downtown was ripped up for almost three years a struggling downtown was decimated, absolutely annihilated because it took that long. What do you mean we, decimated? Did you see the, uh, the storefronts there, there closing are storefront, up? There are storefronts that have not reopened. But that kind of disruption ongoing, that, that, was, that was terminal for, Did, for a struggle. But it took too long. Our town, I think it, it was done in a year. When you were talking to those business owners, because I'm sure you were going into downtown Renfrew in the thick of all of this and buying clothes, buying food, going to restaurants, what were they telling you in the midst of it? That it's just hard that our customers, now they know. Now they know where they, where they have to park to get in. Um, a guy who comes to my church uh, has his law office in town and the main door you couldn't get in the main door and he had a back door which he said that used to be my escape route and now it's a public door <laughs> and now it's the public door there are people that didn't know that door and now i have to accept that they will know this <laughs> my escape door is not not gone so it, it was just an adjustment well take me now to the... i hate to be too not angry enough about this <laughs> no no this is what we no actually this is what we need to hear it'll be fine people <laughs> okay well did your shopping patterns change because of the construction? Did you find yourself going to Ottawa or, or Pembroke to, to do your shopping? Or, or were you loyal to those businesses in Renfrew? Uh, I was as loyal as I could be. But there, I definitely would have made alternatives to as simple as where I'm going to have lunch. Okay. I'm not going to go there because it's too much of a pain in the arse. So I'll go on this shop that, so I avoid the downtown I will go to the McDonald's for the coffee rather than the shop. So on you the can main avoid drag. the construction. Yeah, what because you, it would have taken too long. What would you suggest then to businesses who are this is looming to, to to not lose those customers? Be it opening up an entrance in the back of the building or what? What can they do? You have to know that this is happening, and it is happening. So if there is a way that you can get in your shop from an alternate road, or you know, it's just information. Give us something to look forward to then, Mike. You're done now, that construction. You will oh. have water. Okay. Don't you like water? Most humans need it. <laughs> we will have water. So you, those are the sort of the practical things. But when what, your toilet flushes, something goes away. Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> right. And those are all very um, logical arguments. Necessary. Sure. Give us something to look forward to. What was it like for you when you were able to walk down that main street and not see dust I'm not going to lie and say I heard angels singing, but it was a glorious moment. I tell you what, 
why don't you have more foresight than we did? Do something fun to celebrate that, you know, the leaving of the truck. You know, start a, start one of these crazy British, like, like rituals of the leaving of the truck or the last blast where, you know, we bring out a haggis or a donut or something and, and chant something. Something to market. We, yeah, there should have been something way more fun to celebrate and fun street things happening. Mike McCormick sharing some dealing with downtown construction wisdom. And here's Mike McCormick along with the other members of the Arrogant Worms with a song that speaks to a topic that always seems to come up when downtowns are revitalized. This is Big Box Store. The squirrels gathered nuts The sun shone on the leaves The fragrance of the flowers Sweet in the gentle breeze The birdies were all singing But they're not anymore Cause I dug the whole thing up And built a big box store Big box store, it's my big box store Coming here makes it clear what life's worth living for Big box store, it's my big box store it's it's my big box store It's as if a football field made love to a mall And the baby that they had is my sweet suburban sprawl Whose parking lot is bigger than the downtown it destroys Come on and enjoy shopping on steroids At my big box store, it's my big box store It's rectangulated beauty your heart to ignore. Big box store is my big box store. It's big, it's a box. It's my big box store. It's got toys from China and TVs from China and knickknacks from China and lamps from China and clothes from China and China from China and employees from Mexico. So grab your big box wife and your growing big box kids and get some big stuff to shove into your big box fridge if living large is what you want we got what you need so buy a dozen sofas or a 10 pound bag of cheese have my big box store it's my big box store you'll come out with lots of stuff you did not come in for big box store it's my big box store it's big it's a box it's my big box store big box store it's my big box store Big Box Store by the Arrogant Worms, one of my favorite live and recording acts. Get their music at arrogantworms.com. Thank you. Take that, nature! All right. My name is Brogan Dean from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. You must be Carlo. Okay, so you're the you're the axe expert I've been looking for. I'm not even going to ask you who comes out here because I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me people from all walks of life. I've been around long enough you to know. Stole the words out of my mouth. So what I'm going to go with instead, Carlo, is uh, what do you see in terms of axe 
throwing prowess, just looking at my body. Well, you know what, like just a, just a, a specimen to be admired. Yeah, it's just a specimen to be admired. So looking at you, okay, so you're wearing your plaid, fantastic. Okay, that, that, I, that will automatically help you to throw better, automatically. I, I would not have thought about wardrobe, but okay. <laughs> and yet, here we are, that's amazing. Um, you are, you know, uh, li- well, taller than I am, which isn't saying too much. I'm the, uh, you know, the average Italian there. And, uh, but, but you've got, um, you got, Good arm span, um, but not that that matters really. You look all right. You're you're average and par for the course. Um, the beard's good. The beard's good. Uh, you know, the, a lot of people think of that when when they think of axe throwing. However, um, not a lot of women have beards out there, and we have a good 50% of our um, of our league throwers, as well as people who come by the axe club, are women. All right. Well, there was a pause just before you said you look. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, in the partnership between axe and and axe thrower and human being, how would you break each one's importance in terms of percentage? In the beginning, the focus was on how good of an axe thrower are you. But now, especially in recent years, as the sport of axe throwing has really grown, there's a lot of people who have started getting into specializing in specialty axes. So you have a whole bunch of different kinds of makes and models that are coming out. And some people will swear by this, some people will swear by that. Actually, one of the most famous axes that are out there right now is from a company called Cold Steel, and it's called Axe Gang. Now, the story behind this is that there's a movie, and you can watch that movie on uh, Netflix, and hey, you were warned, it's not that great, but whatever, it's (laughs) called Kung Fu Hustle. And in that movie, (laughs) oh, I've got someone nodding over to the side. Well, the style of axes that they have in that movie, um, Cold Steel has replicated that style, and lo and behold, it's actually a fantastic style. Um, the the beard on the axe, that front blade, um, that's what's called is the beard. It's called the beard. Yep, yep. It's um, it's it's straight, flat, and it's uh, it's a lot longer. Um, the profile, so as it goes from the back of the hatchet head in towards the that beard, it, it tapers off really nice. Um, now, some people like that because the longer beard means that when they're shooting for clutch or, or something of the sort, and I'll explain what clutch is in a little bit, they have a, a, a better chance of hitting clutch because there's more of that beard. But... For some people, they like a smaller beard on on their hatchet head because um, if they're going for regular points, it might mean that they actually end up with most of the blade outside of the ring that they're trying to shoot into. And since we go by majority of the embedded blade in the ring, it's at a disadvantage. So really, your style will need to match your hatchet. Okay, well, first of all, let's back up and uh, just make a note that Embedded Blade should have been the name of that movie. Then, then embedded, yeah, the embedded I see blade. already improves, already. <laughs> when the International Axe Federation began, one of the regulations was that we would use wooden handles. And the reason for that is that the way the hatchet bounces off of a target, if it doesn't strike properly, it, um, it won't ricochet back at you. So wood is safer. Some people like to shave down their, their, their hatchet handles or paint them or carve them. And that's all part of personalizing your hatchet. And every hatchet thrower can walk in with a 
bag of hatches that are personalized to them, and they know the the weight and the feel of it. So hey, it's a thing. All right. Well, I'm I'm sold. You, I, I don't think you've stopped smiling once in all of this. <laughs> and bag of hatchets, by the way, is going to be the name of my improv group. <laughs> nice. Okay, but, but given what you've told me now, uh, I want to know what I'm doing wrong. Um, so I'm hoping you can give me a demonstration. Uh, does that sound cool? Can we just walk over to one of the? All right. Let's do it. Let's right. do it. Yes, yes, I did eventually toss an axe at the Lindsay Axe Club. Well, a target at the Lindsay Axe Club, that is, under the tutelage of Carlo Roponi. But did it stick? And did it help me find inner peace in a primal kind of way? Well, to hear how that mystery unfolds, stick around. That's coming up later in the program. The law has not been suspended throughout the pandemic, of course, but it has had to adjust, especially when it comes to trials by juries, which have slowly been returning to the courtrooms with stringent restrictions. Now, with all the recent attention on juries resuming, coupled with popular culture and TV and film romanticizing the law as administered via jury, it would be easy to assume this is how legal matters are mostly settled in the courtroom. But that is not as common as you might think. In fact, the Office of Ontario's Attorney General recently notified lawyers in our province that it's considering eliminating juries for most civil matters. We take a closer look at this in this regular feature of the Advocate Podcast. Words of Wisdom. More than just words of wisdom, it's words of wisdom. Monique Malosh is a lawyer with Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay. She specializes in civil litigation and injury. And she is sitting across from me at the other end of the boardroom table here in the Ward's offices on Kent Street. First of all, thank you for, uh, for joining me for this, Monique. Thanks, Denny. Okay, well, I, I have to ask you, what was your reaction when you learned that trials by juries were slowly going to resume in Ontario? Uh, I think I told you that I'm a fan of all legal drama, right? Right from uh, Law and Order, of course, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men. But the reality is much different. Uh, A lot of what we learn is through U.S. media. Uh, Canadian court system is is quite different. Uh, My perspective that I can give today is about civil cases. And a civil case is uh, generally a dispute about money or property. And I'm sure you've heard that line before. People saying, I want to take that person to court. So what's your reaction when you hear that? When someone says, I want to take a person to court, I say, okay, let's slow that down a bit and examine what does that mean? Turn down Uh, the volume on the Hollywood movie you just came from. That's right. Uh, I think the starting point would be that in the type of work that I do, this is, uh, we have what's called a limitation period where we have to commence a claim within two years of an injury or a loss. So that time is there to allow the case to be built, to have somebody's injuries progress. Uh, And so time is going to pass just in the gathering of information, in allowing someone's progress to occur, in paperwork being filed. It's often not for a couple years until we start what's called an action or a lawsuit. Uh, Then, once we start that, uh, we're looking at likely several more years of litigation before it would ever see a courtroom. If it sees a courtroom at all. If it does. So what's the reaction of people when you you burst that bubble and go, look, you know, this not only is it possibly not going to end up in a courtroom, but maybe it shouldn't. What's the reaction? Uh, I think 
at first, uh, when people are first consulting with a lawyer, there's a lot of emotion. Uh, perhaps in an injury case, there's a lot of anger. Um, of course, it's something that's disrupted someone's life seriously. Uh, but then we have to just settle in, and part of my job is to say, we need to get ready for a long haul. I'm used to it, but not all my clients are. Um, but I will tell them, this is we're going to be going step by step. Um, What's that like when you have to kind of talk them down and, and bring them down to reality to realize that this, you know, there are no cameras when this is going to take place, place and maybe we can do it in a boardroom just like this? It, it takes a lot of discussions, a lot of convincing. Um, but there are a lot of people, frankly, that they're dealing with such a personal issue that uh, the reality of trial is that everything comes out in the open. It becomes public. It becomes uh, judged, maybe by a jury, maybe by a judge, maybe both, but also by public, right? Yeah, people are, are allowed to go into a courtroom to watch. Of course, people talk about it. So I think as time progresses, people realize, I'm not sure I want to go to trial. Part of it is about access to justice and access to court and access to having your matter heard. But you have to think about the time, the cost, uh, monetary and emotional, frankly, uh, as a personal injury uh, plaintiff lawyer, so I deal with it, I work for injured people, uh, I see a lot of that, the emotional toll that a case can take. If you're going to have a trial with a jury, which I know is the hot topic, you're looking at two or three times longer of a trial with a jury. In our area, we have what are called trial sittings, I should say, pre-COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, we only had civil trials heard twice a year. So in May and in November, the court would set aside sittings for civil matters to be heard. Uh, often, oh, I shouldn't say often, but occasionally, there's not enough judges or court staff to hear the matters, and they're bumped to the next sitting. So tell me about the alternative then, because a lot of these disputes, I'm sure, can be, can be decided in a room like this with you on one side with a client and somebody on the other side of the table uh, with his or her lawyer. What is the advantage in having it played out like that versus, for lack of a better word, the spectacle of a courtroom? Before COVID-19 came into the society, uh, the reality was 90% or more cases were being settled outside of court. And I suspect after COVID-19, it's going to be even more. Uh, so the percentages of cases going to trial uh, with or without a jury is getting smaller and smaller civil cases. Do your clients find that surprising? Because I got to admit, I, that's, I, I think I would have projected a high number, but not that high. So what's the reaction when you, when you hit them with that? Um, I think the reaction is mixed because, uh, again, we are looking at movies and, and videos. And, you know, I like the show Suits, for example. You watch Suits, <laughs> and it's interesting how a, a case can start and finish within one hour, right? With commercial breaks. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so people can be surprised at how long it really does take. I try to prepare them for that right ahead of time. Um, but... Uh, I think the Canadian system is just different. There are lots of deterrents, being time, being cost, uh, emotional toll, uh, that uh, the, that weighs on people and leads to accessing alternative dispute resolution. And, and that can be in the ways of informal settlements between parties or between their lawyers. Uh, 
which is often what we do, negotiated discussions and settlements. Something more formal would be what we call a mediation. Uh, and it's in a boardroom setting just like we are today. Uh, and it's a formal process where the mediator is an unbiased third party who can't make a decision but can help the parties communicate, compromise uh, towards a negotiated settlement and the best result being a resolution. Monique Malosh specializes in civil litigation and injury. She is a lawyer with Ward's Lawyers, official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast. You can contact Monique and any of the team at Ward's Lawyers by going to wardlegal.ca. When I first started this, my first axes went in and I thought, this is a cakewalk. Then I couldn't get one in 15 tries. It almost seemed like I was overthinking it. So does that make sense? Oh, it definitely makes sense. Um, there's all kinds of things that happen. One is overthinking for sure. And you can plot this on a graph. People will do that. They'll throw the few, first few. They feel amazing, feel confident. Because they land. They land, but two things happen. One is that your body starts to loosen up. It's like... Um, if you're playing soccer or playing any sport, in the beginning you're a little bit tighter, whatnot, and then as you start to loosen up, uh, your body becomes more limber and whatnot. So the way you are throwing at the beginning starts to change, and now you're over rotating or under rotating. As your muscles become more elastic, you'll probably start to um, either reach out your arm or you forget what your lane coach said and you do the reverse in which you return to old habits. And then the third one is simply that people forget some of those little details pertaining to where they were placed at, at the point in which they were hitting good hatchets. It goes from your stance right up through your shoulders, out your elbow, out your wrist, the, the very way you grip your hatchet. But also where you're standing. Uh, you saw me coach somebody earlier on today yeah. and she was hitting the bottom of her hatchet handle in the bullseye, but consistently. And when I looked at her, I said, okay, is it her grip or is it her stance? Like where she's standing, her distance. And as I looked at it, I said, okay, her throw is good. It's coming off the shoulder nice. She's not flicking with her wrist. It's gotta be her distance. I brought her back by two feet, which is a huge distance bullseye. So uh, let's see if that works right. with you. So yes. because you're left-handed, I'm going to get you to put your right foot just over that line. Okay. Yeah. And so the reason you have your right foot there is because with your right foot forward and, and, your, and the hatch in your left shoulder, it'll square you off with the target so you're nice and square with the target. Okay. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you to put your hand out straight out in front of you, okay. but straighten that elbow. I want your, your arms as far out as you can. And now I want your hatchet perpendicular with your arm so it's standing straight up and down. So then from there, take your other hand, your right hand, and you're going to wrap it around your left hand. So by having one hand inside the other, they're both going to release at the same time. Let's bring it above your head now. Bring it all the way back, and you can touch the between your shoulder blades with the back of that hatchet head. Okay. That's right. It's nice and safe. Okay. Go for it. On the count of three. One, two, three. All right, okay, so let's look at the positives, let's look at the negatives. Positive, nice straight hatchet, that's awesome. Negative, basically hit the back of that hatchet handle. Now, if it wasn't 
a wrist issue, then it was just a distance issue and will move you closer so that at the end of that single rotation period, you are in that board. I know, it's a lot of physics, I, I but... Feel, I feel like I'm overthinking it already, <laughs> okay? All right, so you're like, it's on the floor again. Actually, that's a good thing. Well, I hit the target. Yes, you did hit the target. And listen, if, if that was a zombie, you would have knocked them out for sure. Knocked them out for sure. All right, nicely done. Turn. Maybe I'll stop right there. Third time is a charm. Well done. Okay, well, I do have to ask you, Carlo. I mean, I know that the, you have men and women here. Um, the other axe throwers in my home are here. Can they take a crack at it? Absolutely. All right, Nancy, Let's get everybody up here. All right. All right, now you saw how the pros do it. Let's, uh, let's see if you can mimic that. Ready, go. Nice first try, unbelievable. Oh, she's a natural, she's a natural. Yes, Nancy Payne is a natural. First shot, no fancy editing there at all. That's all it took her to land her axe. My thanks to Carlo Roponi, co-owner of the Lindsay Axe Club, for teaching us the finer points of axe throwing and its virtues. Have you ever met someone that passionate and articulate about axes? Thanks going out as well to our program's official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. If you need a lawyer, Carissa and Jason Ward and their team have you covered. Contact them at wardlegal.ca. And if you need someone to draw on their love of Halloween and do a great job playing a starring role in the opening sketch of a podcast, well, just contact Jason Ward for that too. Thanks, Jason. That was uh, one scary house of horrors. Thanks also to Jonah, same last name, for his recording engineering and axe throwing skills on today's show. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Corinth Lakes, is produced by me, Denny Grignon. Please share our link on social media. Tell your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay safe. Stay two meters apart in body, but close in spirit. Talk to you in about two weeks. Hey, Steve. <laughs> no masks. <laughs>